1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20. We're doing a series called The Magnificent Jesus. And uh, I've got the subject of looking at the resurrection. uh, And I've tried to come at it at a different angle, hence the title. Uh, So you want 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 12. It's sort of gone that way a bit. Someone's give it a hit, haven't they? They've all got Bibles, Phil, so they're all right. It says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of people to be most pitied. There it is. That's nothing to do with acne, by the way. (laughs) But you'll get that one later when you're at home, okay? But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, This uh, passage of Scripture that's uh, behind me and slightly moved over there uh, has five sad consequences if Jesus had not risen uh, from the dead he's not alive today he's not lord of the universe uh, and uh, and does not have authority in heaven and on earth and what I would like to do this morning is actually just show you those five consequences and then look at four breathtaking facts about the resurrection hey see and I want to do that as an incentive because I think that the, one of the purposes of the resurrection is to stir our faith and to realize what a saviour we have. That's part of it. And not only that, that the resurrection gives you hope in this world and in the next. It brings you, uh, it brings you a sense of hope forever. So my hope and my prayer is that this might do you some good, (laughs) that you will be uh, won over by this wonderful Jesus that rose from the dead uh, this morning, and uh, that you might go away uh, more thrilled with him than you are right now. Uh, The passage uh, begins in verse 12 uh, by pointing out that, the ch- in the, um, that in the church in Corinth, some were saying, there is no resurrection of the dead, period. Nobody rises from the dead. So in verse 13, Paul uh, points out the obvious and he says, look, if there's no resurrection from the dead, 
then not even Christ has been raised. That's the fact. And then he begins to list these five consequences about if this is true and if if Christ is not raised from the dead. But I want to start off by just trying to show you first that Paul actually doesn't believe this. (laughs) Uh, And you see that uh, right at the end of the passage that we read in verse 20, where he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, the apostle of Jesus, the apostle Paul here, is persuaded that Jesus uh, did rise from the dead and that his resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection. And that's what he means when he says the first fruits, uh, of the, uh, the first fruits from the dead. The first fruits are the first pickings of a harvest. I don't, uh, Callie and I have uh, put some of those things that you go to garden centres and you plant them this time of the year and you put them in. No, a bit more than that. What do you call Them things that you go and they're all in lines and you put them in and you put them in an hanging basket. Yeah, those, what do you call them? That, look, we ain't going to argue any longer. But You buy four in a pot and they're £2.50. Anyway, you do that... And then what we do is that we stick, them, we stick them in the pot and we, every morning, we wander out and we gaze upon the hanging basket until one day this little blue thing appears. And what we say is this, it is the first fruits of what's to come, that the whole lot is going to come into bloom because this is the first fruits of what happened. And that's what, what's, what's happening here in this verse. What I'm saying is, look, that what Jesus did by rising from the dead, by conquering the grave, was that he opened something of a great harvest that would come to the world. That was what it was about, the first fruits. He was the first, the harvest will come through. He opened the gates for a whole harvest. I think that's wonderful. You're allowed to get excited, but because uh, you're in the harvest. Okay, thank you. But, and you see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. If Christ is raised, then those who belong to Christ will be raised with him to everlasting life. So when Paul says in verse 13, uh, if there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised, he also means, and we won't be either. Now that doesn't seem to bother these folk at Corinth. And that's why Paul has to write this letter. He's hoping to wake them up to the wonderful truth of the resurrection of the dead. My aim is to wake you up to the hope of the resurrection from the dead. So let's look at these consequences. Consequence one, our preaching is in vain and our witness is false. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. That is, this stuff that we are doing here in the church at Corinth, it's empty. It is just empty words. It means nothing at all. Or as verse 15 says, we have been found to be misrepresenting God. Because we said that God raised Christ from the dead. What on earth are we doing here? We must be mad. In other words, 
if Jesus has not been raised, then Paul's preaching is what is described as nothing more than a false witness. What is he doing? He better get back to doing some tent making or whatever he was doing before. What are you doing? And of course, it's no skin off their nose because they don't really care about this. But for Paul, it was everything. The reason that he was doing what he was doing was because Christ had been raised from the dead. The reason that I am doing what I am doing is because Christ has been raised from the dead. Why do this job? Why lead churches? Why waste your life doing this if Christ is not raised from the dead? Surely that is the the reason that it all hangs on. I might as well quit the job and try and work in a garden centre, which you understand that I would be very good at. You see, why, why bother? It is true. Why bother to come here? If Christ has not been, go home, folks. Go home. Watch the football or the tennis or whatever. You know, get rid of the PA. Don't give your money. Go home, folks. Christ has not been risen from the dead. It's not worth it. But the Apostle Paul says no it's true it is true i'm not a false witness i'm a true witness of it It, everything is true and the thing is that if the resurrection is true and jesus raised from the dead and what he's preaching is true as well Therefore, what is written on his behalf is from God. And we, sh- we would do well to allow it to change our lives. In fact, the teaching of the New Testament hangs on this. If you believe that the resurrection is true, then the rest of it is for you to do. That's, that's how important it is. If the resurrection is, is, if you don't believe it, then just put the Bible on the shelf and read a novel. But if it is true, then come on guys, we need to be doing this stuff more and more, applying it into our lives and our family and, uh, and our marriages and the way that we are at work. We need to be this, this, we need to be the book because it is a book based on the resurrection of the dead. Secondly, your faith is futile and in vain. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Or as it said in verse 17a, your faith is futile. Your faith is empty, it is useless. If Christ has not been raised, what good is it going to do for you if Christ has not been raised? It has no power no effect whatever. One does wonder what these guys in Corinth were believing. Doesn't one? Well, I do. You think, well, what, perhaps, what did they have? If they didn't have faith in the resurrection, what did they have faith in? What was their faith? If they didn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, well, it's just, you just think, what are they doing? Because when you look at these people, these were savvy, 
philosophical, cosmopolitan, uh, clever people, but they didn't like the idea of believing something literally and as physical as the actual resurrection of Jesus' body from the dead or the resurrection of their bodies. Perhaps these people are like our Christians today. The church has people who will gather this morning, who will gather on a Sunday morning, and who do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. It is not just something that happened in Corinth. This is in our day. There will be people that will come in their suits and ties and will gather and they don't believe it. There will be people that will preach the gospel this morning without a gospel of Jesus rose from the dead. They will say that Jesus was a great teacher or a good example or a way of the love or that stories of his resurrection are just symbols pointing to a triumph over human spirit or that his influence lives on after him. Now, the folks in Corinth had not said this resurrection business is a myth, so we reject it, we'll get out of the church. They'd said this resurrection bit is a myth, so we will reinterpret it. Which is what they were doing. They wanted to stay in the church, but reinterpret the resurrection. They wanted to say it's a symbol of God's love or human spirit or some sort of airy-fairy divine force. But Paul's response to all this is to say that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is empty. But if Christ has been raised, then your faith is well-founded. Let me just say this to you. If you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, you can trust him for everything absolutely. That's the key point. If he hasn't been raised, you can't trust him for anything. But because he has, you can give him everything. Because everything hangs on to this one thing. We do get to some positive things in a minute. Thirdly, you are still in your sins. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. It seems to get increasingly serious, doesn't it? I can see that. You're slipping down your chairs. But what he's doing is pointing out an utterly crucial connection between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying, if Christ has not been raised, then his death accomplished nothing for the forgiveness of our sins. And if Christ... Uh, And if Christ accomplished nothing to remove guilt and condemnation of our sins, then we are not only in our sins, we're still in our sins, we're still under the wrath of God. Because sin alienates us from God. And we've got to be very clear here that the death of Christ, the Son of God, is the basis of our forgiveness and our justification before God. Romans 8 verse 9 says this, God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So it's the death, the blood of Christ that pays the debt that we owe to God and frees us from our sins. 
It justifies us. It gives us a right to stand before God. But Paul says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then you are still in your sins. In other words, if Christ did not raise from the dead, the death of Christ did not rescue you from your sins. The death was nothing. It was just some guy that got killed by some Roman soldiers. If there's no resurrection, there cannot be a forgiveness because the purpose of the cross becomes nothing at all. It just becomes a guy that wandered around, did some good teaching, did some good works, and actually got caught by a few Romans, got nailed to a cross, and he died with two other guys. That's what the argument is. But in Romans 4, verse 25, it says this, When he said, Christ was delivered over to death because of our sins and was raised from the dead because of our justification. You see, the two things are connected. In other words, the resurrection is proof that your sins have been dealt with. That's the thing. That's the whole point of it. The resurrection is a proof that what happened has happened and has, been, has happened for you. You can stand forgiven, clean, accepted, all that stuff because of the resurrection proves that you can have it. Remember these scriptures. But as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Because of the resurrection, we are forgiven. If God holds our sins against us and we've all sinned, there is no hope for anything else from God. The foundation of every blessing from God holds on to one thing. And it is this, that God forgave your sins. That's what hangs on it. And because he can forgive you your, your sins, it means that we can be blessed with every spiritual blessing. It opens the can, as it were. It lifts the lid so that the more from God can come bursting through into your lives. How did God speak to you? What was the foundation that God spoke to you about this morning? The foundation was this, a forgiveness of sins that was dealt with on the cross that opened it to an access to God so that we could enter freely. He could come and communicate with us and it is the platform for blessing. That's why you need to come back sometimes over here and, and have a little bit of a party because of forgiveness of sins and go, yes, I am forgiven. Do you remember the old song, I'm a gibbon? We need to go back and sing, I am a gibbon. Why do we need to sing, I am a gibbon? Because when you sing, I am a gibbon, it opens you up for the more blessings that God wants to give you. When you realize the gibbon bit, you go, oh yes, and the can opens. And suddenly God bursts out by spirit and blesses you. The ones that are thinking, what is he on? about a gibbon (laughs) when you go for coffee see Stephen Hawkins and he will sing it to you (laughs) but it goes like I get so excited Lord every time I realise I'm a gibbon (laughs) so consequence four is those who have fallen asleep have perished If Christ has not been raised from the dead, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
That, uh, that is, the believers who have died have perished. They have died and they have perished. And Paul is referring something more than a physical death. Yes, they've died, but they have perished. In fact, he, when he's describing this, to, be, to perish is actually that they have come under the wrath of God. They, are, they have not just died, they have faced judgment. Which mean, it means that, the, oh, that they die along with the rest of humanity. That they, There's no resurrection from the dead. If you are a Christian and you don't believe in the resurrection, you die and you are under the judgment of God. When you get to the book of Revelation, some lovely scriptures, it describes a great multitude. And, and the, I just think, when you hear those words, and there was a great multitude, and they cried out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now you know me, I'm not one of the greatest Greek people in the world, but here's what great multitude means. People from all of history. People from all of history crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. We do not come to an empty end after a full and valuable life on earth. Else what we do is we end up where we started. You're just a zero. You get a few numbers in this world and then you get taken away from you and your numbers get given to somebody else. What is that? No. Worse. Not only do you become a zero, but you get damned and you get pulled under the wrath of God. Paul says that because Christ is raised, he will raise all those who have fallen asleep in him, who have died in faith. They have not perished. They are alive. I, I've had the... Um, I have... Uh, Four people in my, my family that have died. My, my uh, father died slowly of leukemia. And I watched him die slowly. A fit man who eventually just became weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until he couldn't really um, get out of bed. So I've watched a slow death and I've watched uh, my mother, and I have stood in, in a hospital ward with those people that stand around you and say to you, Mr. Lloyd, you need to make a decision whether the machine is to be turned off. So I've stood there. My brother was on holiday in the Isle of Wight. It was before mobile phones. So how on earth do I speak to him? I had to make that decision. I have two sisters. I've never met my two sisters. Both were born uh, and died shortly after uh, birth. One uh, within just a few days, another one, I guess, just a few weeks. I, I know very little about those two, two girls. I just know that they've been placed into rich people's grave. I know where the graveyard is. Uh, but I don't know what their names are. My mum and my dad never told me about those names. 
uh, my auntie CC actually told Callie, I think there's something that you ought to know. So I don't know. Here's what I do know. Because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because I believe in the resurrection on day, I will line up. Line up next to them and I will stand with a great shout and we will cry out together, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns because if there is no hope in the resurrection, then what are we doing, guys? But there is. But what does it mean? It means that I will line up with them. And if we lose as a people, people that we will from this church, that will go from us, either quickly or slowly or surprisingly, we will line up with them, folks. We will stand shoulder to shoulder in new bodies and in, in completely restored and we'll cry out together as one almighty army. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. It is not finished on earth. It begins in heaven. We need to get this into our blood. Sometimes I think, and you think that with my mum and dad, you just think things could have gone a bit better. But I know I will line up because line up is eternity. Short time, long term. I've got ages with mum and dad yet. I've got two sisters to enjoy in heaven that I've not had on earth. And together we will do it. Why? Because you see, it is not, it has just begun. The story for the Christian has just begun. Consequence five. There it goes. We are to be pitied. That's acne. All Christians get acne. Above all men. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are people to be most pitied. What Paul is saying here is that the life Paul has chosen to live based on his deep and confident hope in the resurrection, is pitiful. You are a bunch of pitiful people. That's what he's saying. Saying, come on, you're fools. You are idiots. You, you are laughable. What are you doing? But actually, we are to be most envied. Uh, And I don't mean this arrogantly, because I don't want you to envy me. Please don't do that. But because of the resurrection, we are to be most envied. Because what Christ has given us is so full, it's so meaningful, it's so valid, it's so valuable, it is so significant. How do you get through a depression like was described? How do you get through... to give and to take away. How do you do that? You you just can't, can you, without something else? How do you do that? Because you look at the resurrection and and it brings you hope and you think, hey, somebody sees me as different than I see. Because we have hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this. We have a hope. I'll try and explain this probably badly because I'm still thinking about my mom and dad. I do apologize. We have a hope, an anchor for the soul. Yeah? 
a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters the veil. Let me try and explain that to you. If you know this, I, I don't mean to treat you as, as children. I, it just came fresh to me. The writer's point is that what we're hoping in is absolutely sure. So he uses three descriptions of an anchor to stress this in verse 19. He said the anchor, the hope, is one, both, is both one, sure, and two, uh, steadfast, and three, it enters within the veil. That's how it works. One which enters the veil. So the anchor is sure, certain, and safe. The anchor is steadfast, it's firm, it's reliable. The anchor is lodged, lodged beyond the veil. That's the extraordinary thing. Where's the anchor for this soul, for this person? It is lodged beyond the veil. Now let's go back a little bit. Remember this? The anchor's lodged there. This is a reference to the veil, yeah, that hung in the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle, it concealed the Ark of the Covenant of God. It's where the glory of God met with the high priest once a year when he bought the blood-bought sacrifices to atone for the people and their sins. Here it is. Here's the promise for you and your security. Not only that, here's the promise of glory. Because here it is, the anchor is lodged beyond the veil. See, that's, that's the, I'm attached there. That's my thing. I'm attached there. The anchor of my soul is firmly attached to the altar of God. What was the altar of God? It was the Shekinah glory of God. Hey, not only is my soul attached there in heavenly places, but I can experience the presence of God intimately and powerfully because of what I'm attached to. I can do it because it's there. It's wonderful. You, you just think, oh, come on. Now, I don't, you know, pity me if you may, but I don't you think what a privilege that is. I'm there with the glory of God. So actually, we should be envied. So let's conclude then uh, with... Four breathtaking facts about the resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 11. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died to Christ, we believe that we will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Here are 
the four breathtaking facts. Verse 4. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Wow! I love that because it wasn't... What this means is Christ was raised spectacularly by the Father. This was the event. He was raised from the, by just a chance... No! Christ was raised by the glory of the Father. Spectacular, breathtaking fact. Number two, verse nine. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. <laughs> he is alive. He's alive. That's the one. He's alive. Well, I felt that prophecy thing, you know, the one about forget. He's alive. The reason he can do that stuff is that he's alive. If he's dead, he can't do it. The reason that you felt what you did this morning, experienced what you did, however that was, is because he's alive. That's the thing. Breathtaking, spectacular, superb fact about the resurrection. Three, verse eight. We have died with Christ. Those who trust in Christ are united with him. Find that in Colossians and Galatians. When we trust in Christ, we are identified with him so that what happened to him happened to us. Our faith is expressed, remember this, in in baptism. We're buried with him in baptism. We died with him in, in, in baptism. We're raised with him. Our faith is intrinsically connected with him. We have died to Christ. We have been raised to life with him. I'm connected. What was happening to him was happening to me. I was dead in my sins. I'm now alive. That's the way that it is. I think that's spectacular. Four. Five. Verse five. If we've been united with death in his, we certainly will be united with him in a resurrection like him. We too shall rise. And we will be like him, never to die again. Death has no dominion over me. That's the wonderful thing. Do I fear death like Billio? I do. I don't want to be paddling along, you know, on one of the, what do you call that, pedlos and turn upside down, you know, you know, in Mallorca or something like that's the end. You know, that's, you know, you know. I, you know I say, which way do you want to go? Everybody says this, don't they? Do you, which way do you want? I just want it to be quick. Let's just get this over with in one thing and let's pop through the other side. Everybody, come on. Uh, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones did us no favours. How did he deal with death? He dealt with it firmly and on. What is that? Let me just tell you this. I'll be bricking it. <laughs> I just will. Because it ain't nice, is it? When did you ever hear, oh yes, so-and-so's dying, it's nice really. No, it's not. It's blooming horrible. The body's packing in for heaven's sake. And if you haven't been packed in, you've hit a bus. And what's that like? Just moments before, you're thinking, hey, this is going to be good. Come on. It's not like that. So what is our confidence in? Our confidence is that I will rise and be like him. That thing, but anyway, Thomas goes, you know, put your hand in here and all that glorified. That's for me. That's for me. Never to die. Death has no dominion. So, okay, I will brick it, but I will get to the other side. That's the thing. 
That's the thing. What's, what, what spurs me on? Well, well, what might happen? Well, actually, death has no dominion. Now, if that's true, if that's true, I've just changed some stuff in the Bible. <laughs> and I just want to give you a, just a list of stuff. Because if all those four spectacular things are true, it changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Let me try and give you these. Then we're going to sing a hymn. Dave Simpkins knows what's coming. He's just going to remember it. <laughs> he does know. Which just, you know, when he gets a new body, he get a new memory as well. So we'll be all right. Here he comes. Here, here he comes. This is what the resurrection... Please do get excited about this, because I do. I just... Uh, this is what the resurrection brings... The power of death is broken. Oh, come on. The root of the bondage of sin is finished. It was dealt with. The fear of death is severed. We are a free people. Free. Oh, come on. Here's this one. Spectacular, no, that's wrong order. Oh, no. Dot, dot, dots at the end. Okay. You don't need to get to the top in order to be a success. You are already a success. The crown bit. Yes? You You are crowned. You're already a royal priesthood. Ha! I'm a success in God. I'm a nutter and a failure in the world, but I'm a success in God. Come on. You, oh, God, you're brilliant. <laughs> you don't need to run away from trouble and live in fear, or even that he who has the most toys wins. I don't have to do that. No. Look who's on my side. Hey. Eh? Well, so you think you're bigger than... Come and see my mate. <laughs> Come on. You know. Take the mick if you want to, but I'm just going to open heaven's door for you to have a look. <laughs> now try it. Come on. <laughs> Ever seen angels? No. See these. <laughs> Come on. It's just fantastic, isn't it? You can, re- oh, look, please don't, tell this might not happen to you. You can rejoice in persecution for righteousness' sake because you have a reward in heaven. I'm not saying, you know, persecute me or, you know, don't do that. But it's that you have a reward in heaven. It isn't just going to slip through here, sit down, you know, that sort of stuff. No, you're going to get a royal handshake and stuff given to you in heaven. Heavenly stuff. <laughs> I actually want to go and bring the bus. No, don't bring the bus. <laughs> These are all out of the Bible. I've just changed them, okay? Every loss you endure for the kingdom will be made up to you in heaven a thousandfold. <laughs> Come on. Every tear shed. Every time given. Every piece of stuff that you've done and you just thought, oh, just lost out. God's waiting. I'm going to know a thousand times. A thousand times. That's a blessing, isn't it? 
There is no ultimate risk to the cause of truth and love. Nothing can defeat you. Nothing can defeat you. They think they can. But all you do end up is you get heaven. (laughs) So they can't. I'm going to defeat you. Okay. But I get heaven. You don't. (laughs) Here's one. The decay of your body is a prelude to glory. That's what it is. Hey? This is, I know you're looking at this thinking, could do better. True. This is a prelude to glory. Hey? Come on. I'm going to be four inches higher. I'm going to have shoulders like Silas's. We'll get the shirt off one day, Silas. It will come off. So this is what Evan's going to be. So, so when you wake up in the morning and, and you've got that sort of dribble that's appeared on, then you think, what happened there? You can just go, hey, this is a prelude to glory. It's a prelude. Hey? You're right, Denzel. You obviously dribble. Okay. <laughs> It's true, isn't it? I just think it's a prelude to glory. <laughs> it is. It is. Laugh at me if you want to, but you ain't getting what I'm getting. Ha! <laughs> Come on. You will be made completely whole with no impurity, no struggle with things like lust or greed or covetousness or fear or inferiority complex or cowardice or painful memories or paralyzing shame. You will be free from those. You know what effect those have. You do not know how to live without those. One day, you won't even remember those. (laughs) can you imagine what it is like to live without that thought my goodness me there will be no more mourning or crying or tears or pain because the former things have passed away I love this one swords will be turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks and war will be no longer. It's Old Testament stuff, but, but it's great stuff, isn't it? Look, man wars against man. It might be your neighbour, it might be a nation, but actually, do you know, as a world, we have never known a time when the world somewhere is not at war. And if it isn't a nation, it's your next-door neighbour. And you will know no war. Every injustice will be rectified. Every evil will be recompensed. Every wrong made right. (laughs) Come on. I want to be there. And those who are in Christ will rise with him never to die again. God will be our God. We will be his people. And we will live perfectly forever. I want to introduce you to David's memory blank and just explain something. He only knows this because when he was little, he used to abuse this song and sing it badly in certain places. 
because we had a little bit in the car because he's sort of low in the great sea. But I just what I want to do is I want to just take you to him, to you, just to you, and then we'll sing this. So low, low in the grave he lay. Where were you? Low. You weren't much. You were low. Low. If you're not a Christian, low. But you think, he's low, but such is his confidence in his father that he's waiting for a coming day. And then suddenly and spectacularly, you get up from the grave, he rose. And it isn't just that he rose, well, I just popped out, you know, Tesco quick or whatever. No, it wasn't like that at all. And this is what happens to you. Up from the grave, he rose with a mighty triumph over his foes. When you and God saved you, it was a mighty triumph over his foes. That's why it says in heaven, when one sinner, what happens? They have a party. Yeah? That's how it happens. Up from the grave, with a, with a, a rose of victor from the door, and he lives forever. What with? With his saints to reign. That's the thing. He arose, we arose. That's the wonderful thing. You know, you think vainly they watch his bed, vainly they seal the death, but look, death cannot keep its prey. Death will not keep its prey. That's for you, brothers and sisters, to know. He tore the bars away and he'll he'll tear yours. So I'd like to sing it and then because I've remembered, <laughs> if you would like to be prayed for in regard to the prophetic words that were given or the sense of the Spirit in the service, perhaps you'd just like to, even in the singing of the hymn, uh, come forward and we will pray for you. Is that, is that right, David? Okay, please stand. <laughs>